Hollywood Live Extra with Tanya Hart. You know, as music continues to get us through these most difficult times, we celebrate all the folks in the music industry. But have you ever wondered how the business of music actually works? Well, you're about to find out with my guest today. Billboard's top music and powerless lawyer, Lisa Alders here. She's an advisor to music publishers, equity investors, musicians, and songwriters alike. Lisa, welcome to Hollywood Live Extra. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, I know that you have recently uh, overseen some acquisitions of high-stakes stuff like the late Bob Marley and late Whitney Houston's music catalogs. But before we even get to that, let's just start with the basics. Um, People come up with a song. You know, there's so many outlets out there now that people come up, you know, they'll do a music video, they write a song, they do a video, they put it online, and they sometimes come up with hits. But what has to happen in terms of the publishing of that? What should people know when they start putting their music out there like that? What's the first thing they should do? Sure. Well, so they should know that the most important thing from the outset is for them to understand that their music, their song, is a valuable asset. And it is a form of property called intellectual property, most specifically uh, copyrighted work and governed by federal copyright laws, which is the Federal Copyright Act. And there are opportunities under the law uh, for the first owner, which is the, in this case, the composer, songwriter, to control any kind of use of his or her copyrighted work in any medium. Now, in order to do that, and that means distribution, that means performance, live performance on the air, recordings, etc. There are various aspects of the law that that govern different types of usages, and some of them are just industry practice. And while it's becoming more and more possible for a songwriter to manage all of them, all of those different pieces of the pie by mm-hmm. on their own. Um, often, a songwriter will turn to a music publisher who will administer the rights. And in that way, assuming that the song takes off to any degree, the publishers are the ones who really know how much to charge for different licenses, how to track that all the money is being collected from the various sources, and maybe most importantly, how to identify potential infringements and take those down. Right. Now, we see a lot of these from big, you know, all the lawsuits from people who are uh, who have the means to do that. But if you're a, a young songwriter and you've written your first one or two songs, how do you even find a publisher? Is that something hard to do without a lawyer? I mean, is that something you can actually do on your own? Well, you can, but it's hard for a publisher. To, you know, a publisher doesn't have mm-hmm. to agree to publish everybody who writes a song. And they don't because they it takes time and expense on the publisher's part, and they're looking for songs that they believe will have traction. So at the beginning, a songwriter can function as their own publisher. And the first thing they want to do is, while you don't have to register a copyright at the copyright office, it's Mm -hmm. easy enough to do so on your own, online, through the portal. And that's a good thing to do because down the road, if there is an infringement, having registered the work allows you to um, seek statutory damages and also perfects your claim to that song by pinpointing a manner, a, you know, a specific date and time. And the U.S. is pretty unique in that regard. 
The other thing that you want to do is make sure that you have registered with one of the performing rights societies. There are four main ones now, ASCAP and BMI, CSAC, the three traditional, and GMR, Global Music Rights, which is a relative newcomer in the performance area. Because then your song will become part of their blanket licensing schemes, and if it gets performed um, in various media, uh, radio, television, etc., those societies will then be collecting and accounting. And even, you know, if, if you're lucky enough to have a public performance of the song. Um, right. So let me just so then, ask you, to, 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 just to, yeah, not to interrupt you, but for that, that kind of a thing, is that something, again, that you can do on your own? Because these um, these organizations like BMI, do they have a portal that you could go online and register with them? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. And you'll have to set it. You'll have have to set up a publishing um designee, but it could be, you know, Lisa Alter Music Publishing. It doesn't, mm-hmm. in fact, the, the closer you keep to your own name or something, you know, not trying to come, walk in the park publishing, probably there's somebody else who has that and you can't use a name that already exists. So, gotcha. Um, okay. It's simple. Keep it simple. Thinking about all of that, but this is great information, by the way. Um, thinking about all that, we have entered certainly a new age uh, <laughs> with our current pandemic where, you know, streaming was popular before. But now it has taken on a whole new meaning. So in this world of music publishing and just the world of music, everybody's stuff seems to be streaming. How has that changed the uh, the paradigm here, or has it? Well, it actually, streaming has become actually a terrific boost to the music business. I'm talking pre-pandemic, um, for starters, mm-hmm. because while at first, um, as downloads and then streaming um were first emerging um, in a big, in a significant way, we saw a tremendous drop off in record sales, and there was a real concern that the industry was going to suffer enormously because of that drop off. But in fact, what's happened is the accelerated, um, the acceleration in the streaming has brought a whole new life into the industry, and as the streaming numbers mount. More and more people are interested in the investing in the music industry, which has really resulted in a increase in the amount of money that publishers and other investment groups are willing to spend to acquire music copyrights or even a portion of the music copyright. So it's really bolstered the business. Um, streaming definitely the audience for streaming historically has been skewed younger, but mm-hmm. I predict, and, and I've actually seen a little bit of this reported, but before before I even saw that, I was predicting that actually in this time during the pandemic, there's going to be an increase in streaming of more legacy back catalog, you know, catalog work mm-hmm. because people are looking for comfort music the same way they want to eat comfort food. <laughs> 
Yeah, we could, We all need some comfort right now. There is no question sure about do. that. <laughs> we really do. We hadn't thought about And you know something? You were so right, Lisa, because there is a comfort. I mean, they say music is the universal language, but there is a comfort factor here, you know, um, mm-hmm. that we are that we are definitely looking at. You handle some of these really, really big deals. Let's talk a little bit about that. I know you recently, uh, I think it was a $245 million deal uh, that had something to do with the Bob Marley catalog. I mean, first of I all, you're, you I know, think you're mixing up a couple of them, but yes, I mean, they were both I, significant deals, but the, the, yeah. the big one was actually a sale of a company that had all kinds of things, including um, Presley and um, Meatloaf songs and things, everything, a lot of, wow. of standards. Wow. And so when you do these kind of deals, so now is this a, what is this a publishing deal? Is somebody buys a catalog? Yeah. Is that how this works? They buy up, they buy up somebody's music, all the publishing to somebody's exactly. some popular exactly. person's so, music. Okay. Explain how that works. So music publishers, who I said, are in the business of administering, collecting, licensing music. Um, there, while they will certainly handle administration without acquiring an ownership stake, uh, they are most interested in acquiring ownership because, again, music assets have longevity. They, you know, we've seen it. We see it with music that goes back to the 30s. It's still getting airplay and still getting sync licenses, mm-hmm. meaning put in films and television programs and commercials, and. It is considered to be actually one of the one of the safest investments. So, hmm. publishers, as publishers have sort of the financial world has awoken to that, and most many publishers are backed by various forms of financing, whether it's equity investors, some debt financing, etc. Um, they have been actively seeking out building their repertoire by buying up music assets. And again, they'll buy 100%, they'll buy 50%, they'll buy 90%, depending whatever the owner, which which could be either the songwriter or in a musical estate if the songwriter is deceased, or another publisher who has a, has a collection that they're interested in selling off for whatever reason, maybe a family publisher that's had a, you know, on its third generation is ready to um, sell the assets being being the copyrights that they own. So there was, it's really starting, I would say, going back, well, it's going back several years now, at least mm-hmm. 18, 19, the amount of money that publishers were willing to pay for music assets has really started climbing. So typically you'd say these deals are come about by the publisher looks at what was the average annual income that the songwriter has made for the past three to five years on their catalog. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then they multiply what that average is. They back out certain non-reoccurring uses, and then they they multiply that by a multiplier. Those multipliers have gone up and up and up. So whereas in the old days, they might have been seven, eight, nine, ten at the top. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We started seeing 11, 12, 16, 18, even 20, and it's you know, virtually wow. unheard of. When most businesses are sold, the multipliers are single digit, and we're well into the double digit for wow. proven catalog. Now, again, maybe not so much for brand new music because it doesn't have the history. But if you see something that's over a number of years been performing fairly steadily, that's a good investment. So, so what would you say then... Ordinary. 
I was going to say, so so if you look at something like a, a Whitney Houston musical estate, because Whitney did not actually write a lot of her songs. People don't realize that. But she certainly performed them. So if you look at something like that, what is that catalog worth? Well, you know, I can't comment on that because I was directly involved, so I can't talk about no. numbers. But the other, <laughs> okay. the other point that I'd like to make is that in addition to buying actual songs, publishers have also gotten into the master business. So they might be buying stakes in artist royalties or if the, mm. if the songwriter is, or slash artist owns their own sound recordings, they certainly would, might be interested in buying the actual sound recordings of the songwriter artist has a persona, they might be interested in buying or investing in the name and likeness rights, which oh okay, you know, which so there there are which is also new because traditionally historically publishers just bought songs and that that is now no longer the case. Wow. So the music business has really, really changed. Just want everybody to know that you're listening to Hollywood Live Extra. Uh, I'm Tanya Hart. My guest today is attorney Lisa Alter, who works with music publishers, equity investors, musicians, and songwriters. And we're talking about uh, the business behind music today, which, of course, is is so important. So, Lisa, um, when when we see a lot of younger folks coming along, uh, like I said today, who, you know, maybe have a YouTube following. You know, they perhaps have published, maybe they haven't, but they're on YouTube or there was another, I forget, there's so many sites now where you can go and just put your music there. Is that a safe thing to do? Well, it, it depends. I mean, first of all, is it your music? So that's a really threshold question because if you're talking about a songwriter who's performing his or her own music, it's safer again i would say register the copyright you don't so you don't want someone to infringe it um but it is a it is you're not going to run into some of the pitfalls that you will if you're performing somebody else's music if you're performing somebody else's music then you have potentially will be in a position where you're actually infringing a copyright because if you do a youtube performance for example where you're singing somebody else's song, you're playing somebody else's music, and you have a visual of just you doing that, that is still combining an existing song with visual material, which requires a license called a sync license, which you need to get wow. from the music publisher who owns or administers that song. And mm-hmm. there's, a, you know, there's a public performance component to it. There's potentially a mechanical license involved if you've if you're using pre-recorded material. So you have to be careful about what you put up there. If you put your own music up there, then again, you're safer. You just want to make sure that you've registered your music with the performing rights organization so that if there's public performance, you get the royalties and you want to make sure that you've protected the copyright. Got you. Lisa, thank you. I can't let you go, though, without asking. You know, we're now in a situation where who knows when we'll be able to go to a concert again um, and people will, you know, start performing actually live again. What What is your prediction on all of this? And where do you see us going now in this new? Well, you new know, I, again, I, I think it's, it's really quite tragic because performing artists are taking a significant hit. Venues are taking a significant hit, but artists are really taking a hit. All kinds of musicians are taking a hit. Mm-hmm. All the people that play in bands that would be playing weddings and other events are not working. So 
And I think it's going to take a while. And this is not speaking as a music lawyer. This is speaking as a person. It's going to take a while before people are comfortable re-entering public venues unless there's a vaccination. Um, Yeah, I agree. So, again, other modes of other modes of getting music out there. There's been some wonderful uh, Zoom programming out there. Sometimes one we watched last night had some a lot of technical issues, but I think that will get better as uh, people are doing more of them. Um, there are ways, you know, that the business will contend that that one actually it was a small fee to, to um, get access to it. So there'll be it's not going to be the equivalent. I think there are a number of touring musicians who are going to be running into some significant problems. Interestingly, to the extent that they have a an established catalog that may inspire, you know, sort of inspire people by more people by necessity to look to sell all or a portion of their rights, maybe sooner mm-hmm. than they might have done so, or maybe if they even thought they would never do so. So I think the deals are still going to happen. The deals I know are still happening. Whether or not the purchase prices will go down because there are certain avenues of income that are getting cut off, I don't know. But I think streaming will continue to happen and maybe even more so. I think people who didn't stream are going to learn to stream because everyone wants to have access to the music. But it's, you know, and again, the comfort of music during difficult times shouldn't be understated. But I don't want to, you know, I think there's some real concerns and, and there's some a lot of industry groups that are advocating to make sure that songwriters and artists get access to some of the CARE Act money and, and things like that. There's a lot of guidelines out there, um, but it is it is personally going to be a big hit. On yeah. for people who are are in this business um, on the performing creative side. Wow, I know we will we will get through this, uh, Lisa. Thank you so much for your insight and information and intellect on all this. You stay safe there in New York City, you lady. Too. <laughs> okay. Thank you too. Great talking to you. Thank Tanya. you. It's great talking to you too. And for everybody else, again, you're listening to Hollywood Live Extra. Don't forget to. To, to uh, actually get the AURN app because it's easy. You get all of our programming. Uh, and don't forget to subscribe to SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory. Make sure you download all of these. You don't want to miss any of them. And if you love what you hear, because I know you do, please leave us a five-star review. I'm Tanya Hart. This is Hollywood Live Extra. Hollywood Live Extra, a product of American Urban Radio Networks. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.